With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in both Alpha Collective's Discord, that's discord.gg forward slash Alpha Collective, and Startup Club's house in Clubhouse. It's free. It always will be free. There are no strings attached. There is no bait and switch. Lurk or listen only chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage the coffee shop is open for business whether you're on the treadmill getting the kids ready for school getting yourself ready for work commuting into the big bad city or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom to your home office on monday we manifest on tuesday we talk thought leadership on wellness wednesday we discuss mental health wellness and life skills On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions with the author. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot with virtual coffee, with the collective cafe where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship, or coaching. So give us a subscribe, bit.ly forward slash collective cafe to go, or a review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand, or of course, join us every day live. It is addictive. And remember, it is a safe, welcoming space, and you will never, ever be put on the spot. This is Alpha Collective's Collective Cafe. My name is Joseph Jaffe. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Hope you are well. It is Tuesday, July 25th, 8.02 a.m. And uh, you've made the right choice today by coming into Startup Club, by coming into the Collective Cafe. Uh, We're going to be discussing Elon. We're going to be discussing Twitter. We're going to be discussing it from a branding standpoint, from a marketing strategy standpoint. I hope, I hope, I pray (laughs) that you will get a lot out of it. Uh, Please do me the favor, if you do me any favor in the entire world. I mean, how's that for a a setup? Uh, Please share the room. Uh, Share the room both on uh, Clubhouse as well as anywhere else that you choose to share it with. I would appreciate that. And uh, let's get into it. So I, I have to tell you, oh, 
I need to tell you one more thing, which is uh, discord.gg forward slash alpha collective. That is our Discord server, the Discord server of Alpha Collective. And uh, tomorrow, Thursday and Friday, I'm traveling, um, but we're going to, in fact, I think, I think um, uh, we're going to have a few regulars that are going to uh, run the rooms for us. The, the vision behind the Collective Cafe really is this virtual coffee shop that takes place Monday through Friday before work. Obviously, I'm on the East Coast so the idea is just before work would start on the East Coast. And the idea is to start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot. If you're commuting, something to do versus you know playing games or listening to drama rooms on Clubhouse, whatever the case may be. The idea is how can you feed your soul, your mind? How can you get inspired, motivated just before work begins? And I actually believe, I really believe... And, and I think I'm going to be right on this one because, you know, the one thing about, about my predictions is they come true. They come true not because I'm a futurist, but just because I apply a very simple lens, which is just a strategic lens. And I always follow the consumer. I look at consumer behavior, whether it's business consumers or end consumers. And at the end of the day, we're all longing and craving connection at the moment. We're all feeling very isolated and disconnected. Now, some of us work from home because we're solo entrepreneurs and that's just all we know, and that's lonely. Some of us work from home even though we're part of a company, and that's lonely too. Some of us are doing the hybrid thing, and some of us are still stuck in what I would call purgatory, which is commuting one, two, three hours every single day. Well, why not double up? Why not kill two birds with one stone? Whether you're on the treadmill, walking the dog, commuting, driving on the train, why not actually be able to feed your mind as well as your body, or at least not waste space? I sometimes refer to the concept of oxygen invaders. You don't want to be an oxygen invader. You don't want to just be here in this world doing nothing but just occupying space. There, 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 is, there, is, no, there is no value in doing that. There, there is value in being able to try and figure out ways to leverage moments of truth, moments of silence, even if it's just meditating or introspecting, etc. Uh, thinking. You know, last week we did, uh, we've been doing I Dare You, a live book read every Thursday. And uh, I actually forced, <laughs> I forced my family, I'm a horrible person, we're driving home from Maine uh, on Sunday. And I just said, please just listen to 15 minutes of the Collective Cafe, 20 minutes. And uh, they did, they gave me about 15 or 20 minutes. And then I realized, like, stop the pain. Um, but there was this concept of thinking hard and thinking often. But what is it to think hard? I love that concept. I don't even know what it means. But thinking hard. You can think or you can think hard. You can, to me, it means just dedicating yourself. It doesn't mean that it should hurt. But you really are committed. You're all in on thinking. And, and that's kind of what I'm hoping this becomes. The other part is this idea that the Collective Cafe is not about me. So I, I assume a position, I assume a leadership position, which is to run this and not expect you to be on stage in the first 45 minutes. But at some point, I don't have to be here anymore. In fact, I don't want to be here anymore. I want you to be running this. I want you to be on stage. I want you to be confident to be on stage. And so if any of you are kind of in this mode where you'd love to be running a room like this, you can do it. I promise you, you can do it. Uh, you, you're not just going to hit the ground running. You've got to get confident. You've got to get comfortable. 
Um, maybe we'll do that on, on No Agenda Fridays. We'll start dedicating a few moments for me to share with you what's worked for me in terms of becoming a public speaker and becoming very comfortable on stage. Um, I'm happy to do that. And, if, and then we'll do some, you know, truly we'll do some open mics. We'll allow people to take five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes based on what you request and, uh, and come up and lead a discussion. And, and it will be a warm, safe, welcoming environment. Look, there are some big personalities and big voices on Clubhouse. Um, and, and you can be one of them. Or you don't have to be one of them. You can just be your own voice and, and be comfortable in your own skin. So a little bit of segue. I, I wanted to talk today about what's been going on with, um, with Elon and with Twitter. And, and I got to tell you, like, I, I'm on Team Elon you know, I'm. We drove back in the same trip. Uh, you know, the, the the trip where I forced my family to listen to the Collective Cafe, and um, and I spoke about. I said, you know, Elon's an idiot, and and my son, my twenty year old son, pushed back, and he was like, he's not an idiot. How can you say that? He's a visionary. I said, no, he is a visionary, but he kind of acts like an idiot. He's a little socially awkward, and he's you know a bit of a goofball, and he does some stupid things, and he says some stupid things. And he can sometimes be his own worst enemy. But, you know, we, I saw um, a, a tweet that basically said, who would you want to be coached by or mentored by? I mean, you can answer the question many ways, right? Who would you want to be coached by? Who would you want to be mentored by? Who would you want to have lunch with? You know, they say, which person living or dead would you want to have lunch with? But if you could have one hour with, with any of the following people, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Jack Ma, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk. Did I say Richard Branson? Include him as well. Who would you choose? And uh, for me, without even a hesitation, I would choose Elon Musk. It just It's my instinct. Second would be Jeff Bezos. And Bezos would, would, would be up there very, very high, very high. But Elon Musk is the person that I'd want to sit down with um, just because – He's so different. Now, by the way, living or dead, it would be Steve Jobs, for sure. The more that I've started to listen to Steve Jobs, the more I'm just in awe of him. And and I know that he was a difficult person and, and maybe not the nicest person. But, wow, was this guy profound. Profound, beyond. So, I would choose Elon. I would choose Elon because he's so... I just, I think a little nugget could change my life. And and he's the most, in a way, like me and unlike me. The last person I'd want to sit down with is Mark Zuckerberg. And that's relevant because of this discussion on Twitter. Now, I want to set up a couple of, I want to set up some context. If you go back and you look at all my writings and all my tweets um, you will see that consistently, consistently, there are a lot of so-called thought leaders and there are a lot of so-called futurists that blow hot, blow cold. They're all in on Clubhouse, they're all in on Twitter spaces, they're all in on Green Room, they're all in on Discord, they, they move around and, and, and they hope you won't notice. And most of the time you don't notice. They're not consistent. What I would say is if you're looking for someone to to trust or to follow or to... Um, be mentored by or to learn from, just look for consistency. Look for consistency in terms of their position. That's the first thing. Always look for consistency. 
And the second thing is if they've been wrong, look for humility. So those are the two things you should always look for in a thought leader, consistency and humility. Because not everyone's going to be right all the time. But when they're wrong, they should have the ability to admit that they were wrong and explain why. There's some things that we could never have anticipated, like a global pandemic. Now, some people might actually disagree with that. Some people might say, well, we might not have been able to anticipate the global pandemic. By the way, I I think, if I stand corrected, this is something that Bill Gates actually did predict and spoke about it about 10 years prior, about how he feared the possibility. But to predict a crisis, I mean, you don't have to be a genius to predict a crisis. So we might not have been able to predict a global pandemic, but we sure as hell could have predicted something in the world that would be a crisis. So there are definitely ways to go about and go, you know, and, and, and hedge your bets. But in terms of like expecting what would happen in 2020, no one could have predicted that. And that's okay. Sometimes you get a hall pass. I have consistently, consistently pushed back on Twitter being a media platform because it's not. In fact, I basically said, and I'm on record saying it, and you could go probably find the tweets, saying that Twitter should be acquired by the United Nations because it is a public service. Because when the shit hits the fan, whether it's Arab Spring, whether it's a crisis, and I think I saw someone say that, you're going to go, you're going to run to Threads? Threads is going to tell you exactly what's going on? That's how you're going to connect with people? No way. It's Twitter. Is, was, probably always will be. And I realize I'm calling it Twitter. I should probably be calling it X or X marks the spot or seating or whatever the case may be. I've just, you know, when, when Twitter came out with its ad solutions, it was actually embarrassing promoted accounts, promoted tweets, and there was a third promoted something, promoted tweets. You can't monetize everything. You cannot monetize everything. It's actually an old, outdated business model. Amass the eyeballs and then monetize the eyeballs. If anything, what what Elon has been doing is testing the waters to see who is prepared to pay and how much they're prepared to pay. And by the way, that is classic Lean Startup for anyone that follows Lean Startup. Lean Startup, you basically go out and maybe you put a prototype together or a prototype together, and you basically say, hey, I'm thinking about this thing, and does that sound compelling um, to you? That's the first question. And second is, would you pay? um, uh, Sorry, how much would you pay for this? And the third is, would you actually pay that? So you assign importance, you assign value, monetary or otherwise, and then actually get some kind of an indication. But would you actually pay for it? There was someone who was complaining and they were called out. I I wish I had the tweet. This person had tweeted 370,000 times. 370,000 times for free. And now they were complaining about paying $8 or $11. For actually enhanced functionality, Editing tweets, you know, deleting tweets or being able to come back after the fact. One might argue that all of that should be included for free. But actually, I mean, people say that Elon Musk is, is like a crappy marketer. He's probably the world's greatest marketer. 
Because what Elon was doing is practicing a principle that I talk about called reward and punishment. And I apologize if you've heard me say this many times, but I'll repeat the concept again. Reward and punishment. You know, you don't mess with Maslow. So what you don't do, I always use the airline industry, what you don't do is starve people and say you can't eat on the plane. What you do do is say, hey, everyone in coach gets a meal, but in business or first, you get a better meal. Or in recent times, hey, everyone in coach, you can pay for your meal, but in business, you get it for free. Turns out, we don't mind paying for food. Revelation of revelations. We don't mind paying for food. Well, that's a relief to the restaurant industry. Of course we pay for food. Why would we not pay for food on a plane versus not on a plane? So reward and punishment says you don't punish people relatively. What you do is you reward one segment as opposed to punishing the other segment. One thing the planes have been unbelievably slow at doing, I cannot understand why, but I can safely predict that this will happen, and I said it before even Delta started experimenting with it, is that everyone on the plane gets Wi-Fi, but if you're in business or first, you get free Wi-Fi. Or if you're at the highest tier of loyalty, you get free Wi-Fi. And eventually what you will see is high-speed Wi-Fi in the front, normal speed in the back. Same concept, reward and punishment. So all Elon's been doing is testing, testing the waters. I think recognizing that ad-supported is not a sustainable, scalable business strategy. Look, I wrote a book called Life After the 30-Second Spot. I'm on record from 2004 talking about the end of this interrupted, interruptive model where we basically buy and sell data. We treat our consumers like meat. We sell their data. And then we just interrupt them with ads. Ads that are, for the most part, not relevant, irrelevant, uninspiring, boring. How many times have you seen? I just saw somebody tweeting the other day saying, if I see one more ad basically commenting on my breasts, in this particular case, I forget whether she had large breasts and this was for small breasts or she had small breasts and this was for large breasts, whether it was for a bra with certain support or whatever the case may be. Kind of an insult when somebody actually, you know, that that's adding insult to injury. Not only are you interrupting us, buying and selling our data, buying and selling us, but then you actually demonstrate how lazy you are, that you can't even get that right. So I think Elon was kind of testing the waters, but there was always a bigger plan. There was always a bigger vision. And we're starting to see the unfolding of that vision. So the people that have said, including me, because I will say that in context, throwing out a brand name like Twitter, which is about as iconic as any brand name we've ever seen in, in this world, right? In this space. When we think of Instagram, when we think of Facebook, when we think of Twitter, when we think, I mean, these are, these are iconic brand names with so much equity. But if the vision 
is actually to move beyond this idea of an ad-supported texting ecosystem, well, then it does make sense. And we'll get to that and we'll get back to that in a moment when we actually kind of analyze this idea of, of being able to literally shut down something that to us is like apple pie in social media. There's another concept which is value. And, and I think from a context standpoint, remember Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars. Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars. And there were people, including me, that, that were absolutely like flabbergasted. Oh my God, you just spent a billion dollars. That's insane. What a lot of money. Until it wasn't. Until Facebook bought WhatsApp for 19, 17, 18, I think $19 billion. And when we actually think about what, what Instagram has brought Facebook... Instagram basically saved Facebook. Don't think for a second it didn't. Facebook had zero mobile strategy. Zero, I mean, and very little negligible mobile penetration. And Instagram delivered instantly overnight. It was one of the best, smartest, shrewdest purchases we've ever seen. So when Elon buys Twitter for $41 billion, it may very well transpire that that was one of the most brilliant and, and you know, value-laden purchases we've ever seen. Based on what? Well, based on what he has planned. On one hand, but on the other hand, if we're, you know, again, it's all about context. If our lens... If our lens is as an ad-supported medium, if our lens is based on the brands that have left the platform, well, then maybe we look at that and go, what an idiot. He's lost $20 billion. But if we look at it in terms of infrastructure, in terms of building an ecosystem, the everything app, then it doesn't seem as dumb anymore. So what I want to do is, and again, I'll just do a a quick reset as I pull up a tweet, and then I'll post that tweet uh, for you as well. Um, David Jacobs says, death of the 30-second spot sequel, death of monetization of eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, why not? Why not? And better is the same concept, same red thread throughout, you know, monetizing reach and eyeballs. We live in a world now that we talk about a 1,000 true fans, we live in a world, my third book, Flip the Funnel, How to Use Existing Customers to Gain New Ones. We live in a world that is inside out, that is planting seeds, that is slow burn, that is building community. That's the world I live in. That's the world I choose to live in. That's the world I believe we will all want to live in, as opposed to a world of Super Bowl, or as I call it, Stupid Bowl. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up Probably my new favorite person in the world um, is Alex uh, Velaitis. And um, Alex has just been, in my opinion, crushing it. And I just, you know, I just agree with, I love the way he's, um, I love the way that he is uh, presenting data and information and using threads to do it. And I'm, but when I say threads, I mean Twitter threads or X threads. I don't mean threads, threads. It's so confusing. 
I just posted his thread, his X thread, his Twitter thread uh, in the room chat. Just as a reminder, as I take you through it, that tomorrow, Thursday and Friday, um, we will not be in Clubhouse because I'm traveling. We will be in the Discord server and I'm still trying to firm up with our regulars. Um, and I see a few of them. By the way, like I see, you know, no pressure, but if, if Bears or Melissa or Shadows... Um, just looking at a few of the regulars that are in the audience right now want to actually run a session. That would be awesome. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you Alex's thread and I'll comment on, comment on it along the way. So the thread is called Rebranding from Twitter to X was a brilliant business move by Elon Musk. A lot of people think this is a mistake, but they couldn't be more wrong. By the end of this thread, you will understand why. Let's begin by understanding Twitter's business model as a social media platform. Twitter drives new users to its site. It convinces these users to have more sessions by serving engaging content. It then makes revenue by selling those eyeballs to advertisers. Social media companies like Meta have grown to nearly 1 trillion valuation with the same model. Yet Twitter was only acquired for $44 billion by Elon. Why has Twitter not been able to drive as much revenue as Meta? I believe this has happened for two main reasons. Number one, Twitter had a fundamental cap on the number of people it appealed to. Aside from all the degenerate activity on the site, the reality is that Twitter is the most highbrow social platform in the world. It's where the world's elite go to engage in written and spoken debate. Now, I just want to make a comment there. Just take a break for a second. And um, I would even go so far as to say that if you live in the Web3 space, if you live in the social audio space, if you live in the DGEN space, you see this as activity. But for the most part, the DGENs in Web3 are a tiny little, almost insignificant blip. As I said the other day in the Collective Cafe, Twitter was essentially dead, dying, or was or had outlived its usefulness. By the way, that is a line from my first book, From Life After the 32nd Spot. I said, in its existing form, the 32nd Spot is either dead, dying, or has outlived its usefulness. So not until Donald Trump reignited Twitter was, was Twitter kind of like even remotely in our zeitgeist or in our front burners or in our collective consciousness. And then when Trump left or got kicked out or, you know, post-election, there really was a bit of a lull until the whole Web3, crypto, Twitter, NFT, Twitter took over. But that still is just, you know, a, um, I think that's a magnified, um, I, I think that blip is probably a lot more um, uh, exaggerated if you're a part of it. And if you're not, you probably don't even know it exists. And then the third was Elon himself. Ta you know, becoming, um, I don't know, the, uh, the host, the host with the most. I am actually thinking to myself suddenly, I had this thought this morning, that all of his nonsense and shenanigans was actually very much premeditated. Him inflaming people and, you know, fighting I, and, and being silly and memes and, 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 I mean, first of all, it worked for Trump right? But it certainly seems to have worked for Elon. Just getting people to be outraged for, against, getting people talking, getting people debating. The other thing that Elon did, which I can really appreciate, really appreciate, 
is he became the anti-celebrity. He became so accessible. Unfortunately, he never responded to any of my tweets, even when I got fake Elon Musk, Elon Ma, uh, from China to kind of shout out to him to try and get him to come on my show. Um, but, I mean, there were... It's funny, there was this whole um, uh, media uh, massive uh, space where Elon was talking to advertisers and David Cohen, who is a friend of mine who's now the head of the IAB, which is the Interactive Advertising Bureau, was kind of moderating and asking questions about, you know, like brand safety and stuff. And I th- we're going to all look back to that. David is going to look back to that and think, I wasted this opportunity to pick his brain to really talk about, I mean, David had to because he's the head of the IAB, but all these advertisers coming on and going, you know, I work for Procter & Gamble. I'd like to make sure that my tweets for, you know, Crest and Scope are, I mean, at the end of the day, we should be asking him about life on Mars and how he sees the world and tunnels and his vision for the future. You don't get a chance to discuss things like this with Elon every other day or any day. And Elon actually gave access to people, to average Joes, like you or me. Unfortunately, not for me. But uh, I believe I will probably end up connecting with him at some point. He'll comment on something I've done at some point. Um, And that was brilliant. It was brilliant in terms of, I talk about two A's. I've I've written about this. The A's are assets and access. And, and, and the O of zero, which is my fourth book, Zealots, Entrepreneurship, Retention, and Owned Assets. When you can give people access to your assets, that to me is one of the best practices associated with a new model moving forward. One of the things that just struck me throughout the process, it just it was amazing, was you know I, I did a fair amount of work back in the day with AB InBev, with Anheuser-Busch. And every year, the tickets, even tickets to the Super Bowl that they don't even use with their mega music and sports sponsorship, they could change lives by making sure that all these tickets get into the right hands. Assets and access. You know, right now, Matthew McConaughey uh, did some interview and he's talking about AI because he's part of a, a, um, a campaign, I forget the company, I think maybe Salesforce, he's doing work for Salesforce. So he is an asset. When you hire a celebrity, when you hire, when you go to borrowed interest, when you have a, a, a spokesperson, if you can give that spokesperson, if you can give people, your fans, your customers access to that asset, same concept, same concept, by the way. So here you've got Elon, I don't know, you know, making a bit of a, a, an, a, an ass of himself, but also giving people access. When last did Mark Zuckerberg do that? Do we believe that Mark Zuckerberg is even writing his own threads? I don't, not for a second. He hasn't, you know, kind of, because he can't relate. It's just not who he is. And and Elon with his, you know, somewhere on the spectrum, I guess we're all on the spectrum. My wife says I'm on the spectrum, so I guess we're all on the spectrum somewhere. Um, yeah, he does it in his own awkward way but you expect elon to be normal who wants normal normal doesn't create tesla and spacex and you know normal doesn't do that so let me continue number two 
Twitter also never did a good job of monetizing the 300 million users it did have. That is because they never built out a proper ads platform. So this is a lot of what I was saying. Um, And then in parentheses, Alex says, I've spent $100,000 plus on ads and can confirm that Meta is miles ahead. This is problematic when ads represents 90% of your revenue. And so basically in 2020, um, there's a chart that says 86% of Twitter's revenue came from advertising sales and 14% from data licensing. Obviously, this was before we paid for blue check marks. So for the better part of a decade, Twitter's growth stagnated on users and ad revenue. This was reflected in their share price, which was actually higher in 2013 than it was in 2023. During the same time frame, other companies like Meta saw their stock 10x in value. Once Elon completed the purchase of Twitter, he had two options to recoup his investment. Number one, stay a social media company and fix the user growth and ad platform problems. Or two, use the Twitter data and social graph to build a new company that could be even more valuable. I just want to make a point. You know, this is like Occam's law, right? The the simplest um, explanation is often the correct one, which is stay a social media company and fix the user growth and ad platform problems. Does anyone here actually believe, does anyone here actually believe that Elon wanted to buy Twitter to turn it into a great social media company, fix user growth and get more money from advertising? When you think back now, you realize that that is impossible. Now, of course, he spoke about censorship and, you know, and, and, and championing free speech, but that's not a reason to spend $41 million. That's not really Elon's platform. As my son, my insightful 20-year-old son says, Elon's platform is to change the world, is to make the world better, is to fix massive problems associated with the world. Censorship is a big problem, but it's not number one. And I think that certainly that might be a little bit of a hobby for him, but I think he could have probably done that too, you know, through what will transpire is the bigger plan. So Alex continues, in my opinion, choosing path one was always going to be a losing battle. Some of the best and brightest minds in Silicon Valley have failed to fix these problems over the past decade. The reality is that nothing was working. I believe Elon realized this and chose path two. This is exactly what I said, right? Which is when we look back at the fact that Twitter was kind of already on life support until, uh, you know, Trump, crypto slash NFT Twitter, and then eventually the Elon show. So Alex continues, let's put ourselves in Elon's shoes for a minute. If you had to transform Twitter into a new company, what type of company could one day be worth $50 million? How about an AI research company? I don't know. I said uh, what type of company could be worth, maybe he meant $50 billion. I don't know. Uh, How about an AI research company? And then he has a a screenshot that says OpenAI closes $300 $300 million share sale at 27 to $29 billion valuation. So yeah, I'm assuming that there was a typo and he meant $50 billion. Alex continues, how would you do this with Twitter? Um, and then number one, create a new AI company with the best AI or machine learning researchers, researchers in the world. Maybe call it at XAI. Train an AI model on 17 years worth of text, tweets, Cut off all third parties from that training data. 
launch a chat GPT competitor to 300 million users. But a generative AI company is still thinking too small. What else could the company become that would justify a $100 billion plus valuation? Hold on a second. I'm, I think I need to uh, find a sound effect. Was there a drum roll? Nope, not that one. I've got that, but I don't actually have a drum roll. Um, I guess I have applause. Um, so he says, how about a payments company? And then he's got a screenshot for PayPal Holdings, Inc. Uh, value market cap $82.22 billion. How would you do this with Twitter? Get users to attach their credit card by aggressively pushing a paid subscription service, Blue. Leverage the social graph to automatically connect people. Bonus, have history of building one of the biggest payment companies of all time, which is PayPal. But of course, to pull this off, you would need a lot of capital. Sure, being the richest man in the world helps, but it's still not enough. No, you need to raise dollars from the public market. But how do you do this with a social media app whose stock stagnated for years? Well, the answer is simple. You make people forget that the company was ever a social media app called Twitter. You strip the name, brand, color from everywhere as quickly as possible. You need to memory hold that previous brand. And he shows a screenshot of them removing the Twitter branding um, from in San Francisco. In its place, you begin to paint a new vision, the everything app. Now, this is a narrative you can sell to the public markets, especially when you're one of the greatest businessmen or visionaries of all time, like the type that builds a trillion-dollar EV company. And he shows a chart that shows Tesla's um, value market cap, and this was October 25th, 2021, um, was $1.01 trillion. And, and on the other side is Toyota, VW, BYD, Daimler, GM, BMW, Ford, uh, Stellantis, Stellantis, Honda, um, SAIC, and that's $1.01 trillion. So the next 10 automakers make up $1.01 trillion versus Tesla. Here's the kicker. Because of your track record, you don't even need to drive tens of billions of dollars in revenue. You just need to show enough traction across AI payment social to sell a narrative. This will be easier when interest rates inevitably fall. And that, my friends, is why Elon is rebranding from Twitter to X in such a hurry. Of course, the armchair quarterbacks and media are going to hate on it like they do with all his other companies. They'll try to convince you he's an idiot, as I was saying to my son, and he's making huge mistakes. And who knows, maybe this time they'll finally be right. But the reality is that there hasn't been a worse person to bet against in the history of business. So I know who I've got my money on. And there's a little screenshot that actually says, Elon Musk from CNN Business, that says, Elon Musk will love this. Tesla short sellers lost more than the US airline industry this year. So that is his thread. Um, And I got to tell you, you know, what I love about what Alex did is that he basically kind of sold or told a narrative where he was essentially just kind of, you know, retrofitting the narrative to actually map to um, Elon's resume or Elon's bio. 
Now, there's one other important point in this whole conversation. Right now, I'm looking at my Twitter page or my X page, and um, I'm looking at what is trending. Threads is trending with 234K tweets. Welcome to X trending in the US um, is trending. Trending in the US is WeChat, and I'll stop there. WeChat, my friends, WeChat. Focus and, and, and just keep an eye out on WeChat because the WeChat model, now I, I haven't been to China. I've been to China once in my life um, a long, long time ago, and I don't really know the Chinese market as well, but from what I understand, and maybe if someone wants to jump up um, in a bit or, or put in the chat um, that knows the market well, WeChat is the everything app in China. Everything was controlled and is controlled on and through WeChat. You buy and you sell and you transfer payments through WeChat. It literally is Venmo and PayPal and and your debit card all wrapped into one. Now, of course, there's an extra element in China, which is that the government also controlled its people through WeChat and with respect to contact tracing and, you know, access. That's another thing WeChat controls is access. You would actually use your app. You would use WeChat. And I could be, I could be wrong, but, you know, you'll jump in and let me know um, to open up the security door to your apartment complex using this one app to rule them all. And the reality is that if you were in proximity to someone who was was COVID positive, your color would go from green to yellow or red and you wouldn't be granted access. And so that's how they were able to police, control, however you want to call it, a lot of the people. But WeChat is in many instances and respects, from what I understand, and again, I could be wrong, the embodiment of what X is and where X is going. There's another point that I would state as well, which is what Zuckerberg is doing inevitably is going to run into SEC and monopolistic um, uh, regulation issues. What Zuckerberg is doing is attempting to buy up every social media app where there becomes almost one game in town. So Facebook is one. WhatsApp is another. It's not really a social media app, but let's include WhatsApp. Let's now add in Instagram, which was an acquisition. Let's now add in threads and even the potential um, rumors to buy Clubhouse. At some point, due to monopolistic concerns, because the business model associated with Zuckerberg's empire is ad-supported revenue, buying and selling of data. And there, there are not many other games in town that can even compete with this empire. So at some point, he hits a brick wall. But Musk isn't doing that. 
Musk acquired Twitter and he's not going out, I don't believe, to now acquire five other social media companies because he's not interested in being or, you know, fixing the social media industry, which in many respects is kind of, you know, broken and doomed, trying to follow an ad-supported Web 1 model or Web 0 model and let alone all the issues with respect to free speech and trolls and deep faking and swinging of elections and data breaches and and all the other problems censorship coming that that are associated filters depression suicide i could go on and on and on now here comes the the question the kicker from my side Does anyone doubt here for a second that this wasn't elon's plan from the get go or do we think maybe that he came and he stumbled and he made a mistake and then he was like, oops, and uh, I guess, and, you know, and then maybe, I don't know, maybe he was smoking a doobie because he did that on Joe Rogan, which I'm sure, you know, appears to be he's gone out of, he's spinning out of control, but that probably was very premeditated and manipulated as well, right? And just on the weekend, he's like, you know what, let's, 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 I I spoke about it. Let's just do it. Let's change it to X. And, you know, Monday morning, it's like, what the hell? I was actually thinking to myself this morning, he should have done that on, he should have done this on April 1. He should have done this uh, as a classic April Fool's, except it wouldn't have been an April Fool's. We would have been the April Fool's. I wish he had done this. I'm changing Twitter's name to X because that literally would have been the world's greatest April Fool's joke except it wouldn't have been actually a joke. And he was dead serious. So I actually think this was part of his intention all the time. Now, look, I'm not, you know, coming out here and boosting Elon Musk. I I think he acts like an idiot. I don't agree with some of the things he's done. But remember, one hour with Elon Musk, I mean, getting him on my show, that would be like a dream come true. I'd do anything in the world for it because I can learn so much from him, because he's different to me. Uh, I'll never be him. I wish I could, but I'll never be him. I'd rather spend time with someone like that. So he's made some missteps along the way, some big ones. You know, the, the Linda Yaccarino thing is confusing as hell to me. So there's something called... Um, a. And by the way, it's 8.45, so if somebody does want to jump up and add to the conversation, go for it. Otherwise, you know, feel free to just continue to listen, Um, and uh, and I'm happy to continue because I've got more stuff as I'm going through this. So there's something called, um, if you have, there's the glass ceiling, which we know what that is, right? Breaking the glass ceiling. When a woman becomes president, we have broken the glass ceiling. Um, but there's also something called a glass cliff. And and that kind of concerns me a little bit. So let me tell you what it is, the definition um, of a glass cliff. So a glass cliff or a glass cliff. The glass cliff is a hypothesized phenomenon of women being likelier than men to achieve leadership roles such as executives in the corporate, um, in the corporate world and political election uh, 
candidates during periods of crisis or downturn when the risk of failure is highest. But it actually kind of, but it actually kind of goes beyond that because what actually happens is women almost end up being set up for failure. And that is the concern with the glass cliff, right? Is that women are being set up to fail. When women reach the uppers, the upper ranks of power, they're put into precarious positions, meaning there's a greater risk for them to fail. And so that's a concern. It's a big concern. And I'm, I'm not sure... I'm not sure where Linda Yaccarino's appointment as CEO fits in all of this because she was the head of sales for NBC. So she was an ad sales person. So it would appear that that decision, let me bring aboard someone who's really good at ad sales, would have been designed to steady the ship, the ad ship. You know, the, um, the hemorrhaging of ad dollars and brands deserting the platform because of all of these shenanigans, et cetera, et cetera. The question is, has she been set up to fail? Does anybody here for one second uh, think that working for Elon Musk is, a, is an easy task? I taught strategic communications, which essentially is PR at NYU for the last two to three years. And we're just talking about um, basically like, can you imagine being the head of internal comms, external comms, being a PR agency for Elon. I mean, the only, like, I can't. You basically just, I mean, at best, you're probably just a glorified order taker. You can't really sway or, or create or, or, or lead. I mean, you're just literally playing catch-up the whole time. So for me, all I've seen from Linda has been... Um, kind of very superficial, almost like lip service. Um, she's appeared, and again, it's appearance, perception is reality. She's appeared to just send these raw, raw, raw tweets. Today is the day, you know, this is what, this is, you know, this is the moment. I mean, like, we're, like even when Threads came out, remember, remember who the original, you know, like it just seemed like, almost like it was like a social media manager just putting out tweets. And I say that, you know, kind of with deference and respect because there's clearly a lot more. I want to see where the vision is. I want to see what her position is. Now, CNBC published um, a memo. I'll I'll read it. This is the internal memo um, that was um, sent out to people um, and I think it went out. Um, um, I think it went out in a memo Monday. So literally, when all of this—I mean, we all went to bed on Friday, and everything was was calm in Twitterland. We woke up to you know on Friday, uh, and on Monday it was X. So this is the memo. Hi team, what a momentous weekend! As I said yesterday, it's extremely rare, whether it's in life or in business, that you have the opportunity to make another big impression. That's what we're experiencing together in real time. Take a moment to put it all into perspective. 17 years ago, Twitter made a lasting imprint on the world. The platform changed the speed at which people accessed information. It created a new dynamic for how people communicated, debated, and responded to things happening in the world. Twitter introduced a new way for people, public figures, and brands 
to build long-lasting relationships. In one way or another, everyone here is a driving force in that change. But equally, all our users and partners constantly challenged us to dream bigger, to innovate faster, and to fulfill our great potential. In, in bold, with X, we will go even further to transform the global town square and impress the world all over again. Our company uniquely has the drive to make this possible. Many companies say they want to move fast, but we enjoy moving at the speed of light. And when we do, that's X. At our core, we have an investor mindset, constantly learning, testing out new approaches, changing to get it right and ultimately succeeding. With X, we serve our entire community of users and customers by working tirelessly to preserve free expression and choice, create limitless interactivity, and create a marketplace that enables the economic success of all its participants. The best news is that we're well underway. Everyone should be proud of the pace of innovation over the last nine months, from long-form content to creator monetization and tremendous advancements in brand safety protections. Our usage is at an all-time high and will continue to delight our entire community with new experiences in audio, video, messaging, payments, banking, some new things there, creating a global marketplace for ideas, goods, services, and opportunities. Please don't take this moment for granted. You're writing history, and there's no limit to our transformation, and everyone is invited to build X with us. Elon and I will be working across every team and partner to bring X to the world, That includes keeping our entire community up to date, ensuring that we all have the information we need to move forward. Now, let's go make that next big impression on the world together, Linda. You see a couple of things. One is, you know, the word impression twice. Okay, ha ha, I get it. Very punny. Impressions. That's the whole, you know, ad world, the world that she knows. But she's basically shared and released the the killer line there. And it is... An insane one. A global marketplace for ideas, goods, services, and opportunities. And already, you know, Elon has demonstrated um, an unprecedented move in terms of creator payments out of nowhere. I, I think maybe history will go back and we will look at a new kind of, we'll call it, I don't know, management by tweet or management by whim, because the one thing that I've been unbelievably impressed by and scared shitless by is the fact that Elon will make an announcement and within hours or the next day actually execute that. Remember the session we had in the Collective Cafe going back to Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich? Millionaires and billionaires make decisions quickly and change them slowly. They are decisive almost to a fault. So all of these decisions have happened almost overnight, which is insane. There isn't a a Fortune 500 or Global 2000 company on this planet that is capable of moving at the speed of X, right, to actually use um, Linda's um, words as well. The speed of X is pretty exciting because it means that you can go from idea to execution. I mean, I think she calls it the speed of life, but that is X. Um, When you can go from idea to execution in hours, in real time, 
that's pretty scary, but it's also amazingly cool. I actually have um, on my show today, I'm doing a pre-recording at one um, with Seth Norholm. He was um, on CNN, which is actually um, how I, I saw an article, but um, we're going to be talking about the science of fear. And something that's really interesting, I'm just putting the link um, in the chat. If you want to actually attend the pre-recording, this is an unlisted YouTube URL, um, 1 p.m. today. Um, you can um, hang out and you can comment and I'll put you on the show, etc. cetera. Uh, but we are only born with two fears. I don't know if you know this. Um, there are only two fears. There is the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That's it. Everything else is learnt, passed down, acquired along the way. And there are some people that just are afraid of everything. So afraid to fail, very relevant topic for the startup club. Fear of failure, where does that come from? I'll ask him today. I don't know that Elon has a fear of failure. Because for him, it's all about moving forward. It's all about just, you know, if it works, do more of it. If it doesn't work, change a few things around or try it again. That's one thing that we don't see a lot of in the world. We immediately give up on something prematurely. Remember the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. Why don't we do that in business? Why don't we try something and... And actually, you know, we always say um, in the startup world, right, the pivot, why do we even have to pivot? Why not just rinse and repeat? We talk about rinse and repeat as something we do when something works. We should rinse and repeat when it doesn't work. Try it again. Maybe the same thing in a different day is just going to be completely different. Sometimes we do actually capture lightning in a, lightning in a bottle. And sometimes it's just a fluke. Sometimes it's just you know, beginner's luck or dumb luck or, or whatever the case may be. And just because it works today doesn't mean it will work tomorrow. And just because it doesn't work today doesn't mean it won't work tomorrow. So I wanted to share my thoughts. And again, hopefully I brought something original to you, a different thought. I wanted to triangulate a little bit. I'm glad I managed to get to, we didn't really get to debate and discuss the Linda Yaccarino, but it's, but it's there, and I think it's something I'm watching. But I think what it comes down to is don't bet against a visionary. I mean, you can, but you'll probably lose. The world is starved of visionaries. They tend to, you know, they tend to be few and far between. And when we lose them, there really is a hole in the world. And it's not the politicians or the lawyers or the, uh, you know, the clubhouse 10Xs that are going to save the world or get us to the next level. It's the visionaries. It's the people that are crazy enough to think that they can change the world, to use a line from uh, Apple's iconic campaign, Think Different. So you may not like the man, at times, you may feel that he's a bit of a buffoon, maybe even a bit of an idiot in terms of how he acts, but not in terms of how he thinks. 
This man is playing three-dimensional chess, four-dimensional chess, and he's so many moves ahead of all of us. But I wanted to comment on them at least today and, and give you a little bit of perspective. You know, do I think turning your back on a brand name like Twitter is a smart move? Well, as I said to you earlier, if the goal is to make Twitter great again and fix it and be a threads and, and respond to threads and just be a, um, you know, teaching an, what do you, what do I say, teaching an old dog new tricks, then no, it was the dumbest move in the world. However, if the everything app is the vision, and by the way, it's not like he's holding his cards close to his chest. He's already told us. He's already shared the vision. We know what's going on. He's been very kind to tell us everything. And Linda's been very kind as well to share essentially what is happening. It's going to be exciting times. It's going to be exciting times. And I hope I gave you a perspective today, which is not necessarily the definitive perspective, but that it allows you to at least take this and continue it, extend it, enhance it, amplify it, agree with it, disagree with it, create your own spin, your own take. I would love to know what your take is on the Everything app, a global marketplace for ideas, goods, services, and opportunities. Remember the line, transportation and payments. The, not the line, but the two tenants, the two core you know, foundational elements of a marketplace. There's a lot more money in marketplaces than there is in ad networks and ad platforms. So thank you for sharing your 8 to 9 a.m. slot with me. This podcast will be up in about an hour to an hour and a half. Um, there will also be a LinkedIn article and maybe a Substack article that will summarize this conversation, including some key takeaways and some key quotes. And uh, again, a reminder, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, discord.gg forward slash alpha collective. Um, I will be leaning on some of our community members um, to run our sessions Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, you have an opportunity to join them come on stage with them, get more comfortable speaking in these environments. It will be a lot smaller in Discord, um, so it's a, a, a lot safer, and you can feel a lot more secure. Um, but, uh, you know, break your duck if you've never been on stage, not just asking, you know, just having a share, but actually leading part of the conversation. That's the goal here. Have an amazing day, everyone, and uh, I won't see you tomorrow, but I will be back on Monday morning. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. 
Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.